Welcome in to a, another episode of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland. It is October 23rd, 2021, and I hope you're having a great weekend wherever you may be and however you may be listening across our great country or our great land. So much has happened since the last time I did a long-form show like this. If you've been keeping up with us on our Instagram page, at HomeFieldPod, you'll notice that I've been doing a lot of, you know, daily morning videos about the ALCS, the NLCS, the NFL, the NHL, uh, other news around the sports world. But I really haven't done a long-form podcast to myself in a long time. I've actually had some great guests on the program in the past month. You know, Paul Ulrich two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had Cam Kiesa. So I've had I've had a really, really good month of October. Um, but as it closes here, you know, there's there's really no better time to be a sports fan than mid to late October because it's one of the only times of the entire calendar where the North American Big Four are going on. And then even if you want to expand that a little bit, you have college football, college hockey, college basketball beginning very soon. So you have college sports going on. And then you have uh, you know, global soccer as we get ready for the World Cup uh, next winter in uh, Qatar. So there's just so much going on in the sports world now that it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to keep track, um, really, at times. Uh, but, but where we're going to start is the obvious place. It is the 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 most prevalent topic if you are probably one of my listeners who has listened to me before you know it's something that I also have talked a lot about over the course of the last you know three months or so and that is that the Red Sox ultimately had their Cinderella season come to a close now using the word Cinderella to describe the Red Sox season it's sometimes a little bit comical for a team that is consistently in the top five to ten um, if not higher, payrolls in the major leagues uh, for a team that has established stars like Chris Sale, Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, J.D. Martinez. Uh, sort of a funny term to use for an ownership group that has won four World Series titles in two decades. And again, sort of a funny term to use when you have a manager that has won a World Series before and been to World Series as a bench coach, albeit with a cloud over it, um, leading your team. So using the term Cinderella is sort of weird and might sound disingenuous, but f- you know, for lack of a better term, that really is what the Red Sox were this year. Uh, I was never a firm believer in this team. Unfortunately, probably for myself, I missed out on some really fun times if I was a firm believer, but uh, I, I am not also a Red Sox fan who never believed. Um, so maybe even if I didn't believe fully and I wasn't someone who thought, oh my God, they're going to win the World Series from the second they took the field and started playing well in the spring, uh, I also wasn't someone that said, this team sucks, they're stupid, they'll never get it done. 
Um, I had my doubts about this team. If you watched any of the videos or listened to my podcasts earlier on in the summer, they were a flawed team. They were absolutely a flawed team. But at the same time, they were a team that under really low to none expectations, so little to zero expectations, they were a team that found their way to game six of the ALCS. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, they ran into a team that is much more seasoned uh, for October than they are in a team that just has a deeper lineup. Um, so, you know, if you step back and you look at the Red Sox season, on one hand, you can say, oh my goodness, they overachieved. Um, I can't believe they did that, despite, you know, having a terrible season last year and all the drama around Cora and everyone else, um, for them to come back and win at the level that they won was truly spectacular. However, you can also look at it as this team was a wagon in May, June, July. Uh, and then, you know, right around the time the trade deadline happened a little bit before, sort of between the All-Star break and the trade deadline, this team took a nosedive. And they were never really the same team for about a two-month period. They were inconsistent. They had problems with guys staying healthy and off the COVID list. And they needed to win three straight games um, against Washington to close the year and just, in, just to uh, host the wildcard game. Um, so this was a team that was at one point the best in the American League that became severely flawed, relied on players with injury, players who had been inconsistent in their careers, and somehow they were able to get it all together, partly because of Alex Cora's leadership and partly because of Bloom pushing the right buttons personnel-wise when push came to shove. So there are really two lenses where you can look at this Red Sox team. Personally, I find myself in the middle. Uh, it's sort of, a, sort of a thing with me. I've never found a fence post I don't want to sit on. Um, you know, and it drives my friends crazy. Probably drives my family crazy. Um, but, but when it comes to sports, I'm known to be negative. I'm known to be one who's pessimistic. Um, and I was pessimistic about this Red Sox team, and they proved me wrong ultimately in many ways. Um, I did not pick them to beat uh, New York in the wildcard game. I did not pick them to beat Tampa in the ALDS. And I sort of picked, <laughs> if you listened to my show last Friday, I sort of picked uh, Houston in six, and I would have been right. But at the same time, I felt like they had done, they had done enough um, to prove me wrong, so I decided to pick them in six. And ultimately, this week, we saw why they weren't able to do that. I mean, this was a team that throughout the season um, was sort of gambling a little bit. You know, they were gambling with certain high-leverage bullpen arms. They were gambling with guys who were a little bit inconsistent at the plate. And their stars were even hot and cold, too. Um, you know, I think about the last three games, and, you know, call me a prisoner of the moment, but it's a little bit difficult to beat a team like Houston when... J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, Kyle Schwarber, and Kike Hernandez can't all click at the same time for a consistent period. They were barn burners in, you know, games two and three specifically and in game um, two against Tampa. But beyond that, they found themselves in close ball games, And ultimately, they couldn't get the big hit. You know, they were able to get the big hit in the late innings against Tampa, which brought them uh, to Houston. 
But, you know, in, in games five and six in particular, they could not get anything done offensively. And, you know, outside of Xander Bogart's home run in game uh, four and a Raphael Devers home run in game five, they had zero runs. They had zero opportunities, really, you know, except for a few innings here and there where they ended up shooting themselves in the foot. You know, Hunter Renfro, whose middle initials are GIDP, you know, couldn't couldn't find him, you know, couldn't hit his, couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. Um, so the Red Sox ran into some problems offensively. And look, I think they relied, I think they relied on a few guys on the mound. Um, I think they over-relied on them. And what I mean by that is, throughout the summer we heard, just let Chris Sale come back, just let Chris Sale come back, and everything will be fine. Well, Chris Sale's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, I know that some people in, in the baseball community at this point like to, you know, make Tommy John surgery out to be just, you know, just a uh, routine surgery at this point, but... That is a very difficult thing to come back from. I've known people personally who have dealt with that. And, you know, sometimes they're the same pitcher. Sometimes they end up like Nate Evaldi and they come back stronger. But for Chris Sale, it's just too soon to tell. So I think people were a little bit too bullish on what Chris Sale could accomplish, um, myself included. Uh, however, you know, in game five, he gave you the start you needed. You know, five innings, you know, one run. That's sort of what I was telling my friends. I said, five innings, one run. Four innings, one run. Just, And then I was hoping the bats would wake up. Problem is, two things happened. They pushed Sale a little bit. They reintroduced him in the sixth. That wasn't necessarily a great move in hindsight. But, you know, it is Chris Sale on the mound. The dude is electric at times. And I, I know people will always harp on his playoff record. But he is still Chris Sale. He's going to be in the Cooperstown conversation at the end of his career. Because his strikeout numbers will be so high. The other thing that went wrong is normally when Chris Sale pitches five innings and gives up one run, by that point your offense is woken up. Uh, and the Red Sox offense just wasn't able to do that. Both Valdez and Garcia for Houston were phenomenal in their two starts. Uh, and they didn't allow Boston to get anything going uh, with their bats. And so really it's a two-headed monster of your offense was really dormant. And your starting pitching was good, but didn't last long enough before your suspect bullpen came into play. Um, and the Red Sox bullpen was suspect. Look, Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, some of these guys have had high leverage spots and they delivered. But I think towards the end of the series, you were seeing the real Ryan Brazier. You were seeing the real Hansel Robles. You were definitely seeing the real Martin Perez. And at the end of the day, the Red Sox, when they can't hit, and their pitching staff can't get out of huge spots every single time, it's no wonder that Houston would jump on them late in the game and really make it a laugher by the end of it. And so when the games became a laugher, when they became one that you know you just wanted to keep on because you kept waiting for that comeback um, that just didn't happen, that's you know that that's where the Red Sox found themselves in 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 bad situations. And I said on Wednesday morning um, that in order for the Red Sox to win the series, they were going to have to slug their way to wins. Um, and unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. Um, and for many reasons, uh, they find themselves packing up and going home. I think going forward, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to talk about the Red Sox offense, 
and offseason and pitching staff and everything that will come into play here. Uh, but for me, uh, I like to find myself in the middle on the fence post. I'm very happy that they found themselves in a playoff run. They gave us three more weeks of baseball that I didn't think they had in them. And for that, I'm grateful. Though at the same time, for a team that was the best in the American League from about Memorial Day to the 4th of July, you know, with a few hiccups along the way, uh, it's it sucks to see them not um, perform down the stretch and find themselves in a better situation when, you know, maybe they were go- maybe they would have another arm, maybe they would have the ability to play someone like Jose Iglesias instead of Christian Arroyo, you know, maybe they could find their you know find a way to fit Kyle Schwarber into the lineup uh, and not have to you know hit Hunter Renfro all the time. Hunter Renfro is a good defensive outfielder, but he's a platoon guy at the plate. And I think what the Red Sox ran into is they just pushed their luck a little bit. Um, the Fenway magic that they had against Tampa and New York, uh, that ran out in games four and five at Fenway. And ultimately, they showed who they were, which is an above-average team that was really good at being at beating bad teams throughout the year, but oftentimes struggled um, when the lights got brightest. Um, sounds funny to say when they uh, played so well against New York and Tampa, um, but I think ultimately they sort of ran out of luck. And it's very similar to what happened to the Bruins against the New York Islanders. Um, They ran into a team that was a little bit more battle-tested, it seemed, than they were, uh, and a team that was a little bit more uh, aggressive. And so for that, uh, the Red Sox will find themselves heading home, and the Cinderella story will come to an end. Next year, though, there will be no excuses. The expectations will be higher, and it will be different. Um, It will be a different atmosphere um, with the expectations now that they're not, quote-unquote, playing with house money. You know, even when you play with house money, you still don't want to lose. Playing with house money means push the envelope. You know, know, try try whatever you can do to win the game. Because ultimately, you know, the risk you take, uh, the risk you take might not hurt you. Um, and no one expected you to be there. However, when you do get there, you still got to win. Or else what the hell was all that house money for anyway? All right. So that sort of puts a capstone on the Red Sox talk for now. Um, we'll see what happens with the Astros in the World Series. Um I think Atlanta is sort of that Cinderella team now, too. Uh, L.A. probably has a better chance of beating Houston. That would sort of help things go all right with the baseball gods. Um, That L.A. would beat Houston in a World Series after what happened in 17. Um, But I'm sure we'll have time to talk about the World Series on next week's show um, once that's in the thick of it. Or perhaps again throughout the week on the morning advantage. Um. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with the baseball offseason. There's a lot of big name free agents, Carlos Correa among them. So, we'll see if it's his time <laughs> to uh get a big contract. All right, switching gears here to a little bit of an interesting story. Um I'm not a huge NBA guy. A lot of you guys know that if you've know me personally or you've listened to the show before. Um but I find it strange that this story isn't getting a little bit more traction. 
Um, now, let me preface this by saying I don't really have a strong opinion, um, except for the one that I'm going to state here. Um, but I don't understand why people aren't talking about the Inez Cantor situation. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Inez Cantor, I believe, is Turkish. Or he's from Eastern Europe, for sure. Um, I think he's even spoken out against the Turkish president before in the past. Um, and basically, the, he has now found himself in uh, another precarious political situation after he has criticized the Chinese government. Um, and if there's one thing that the NBA cares about more than itself and its American interests is definitely its Chinese interests because basketball is huge in China. I mean, I know everyone points to this, but just think about someone like Yao Ming and how he was just a transcendent sports star globally, especially in Asia. So for someone like Inez Cantor to criticize the Chinese government for their uh, treatment of the Tibetan people and the Uyghurs in um, in Western China, or in Tibet, really, it is Tibet. I mean, no matter what they want to call it, it's Tibet. Um, and for the NBA to really not support their player there is a little bit bizarre to me. Um, now, everyone's going to yell at me and be like, it's a business. They got to look out for the business interests. Look, I understand. I'm putting on my sport management hat here, and I can, I can for certain tell you that that is what's going on here, and I understand that that's what they want to do. But you have a guy here who is an immigrant playing in the United States. He is, you know, I'd say a pretty good basketball player. Again, not a huge NBA guy, but, I mean, Inez Cantor certainly, you know, isn't necessarily an all-star, but he's not trash either. Like, you know, he's a starting veteran contributing player in you know some he I believe he started games for the Celtics before again not a huge Celtics guy don't jump down my throat but I mean Inez Cantor sort of is a veteran in this league you know this isn't some guy with no name cred people know who he is because of his recent statements because of how he carries himself because of the risks he's willing to take you know people talk about athletes and using their platform um, and sometimes I disagree Sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree, right? Um, you know, I would much prefer that an athlete use their platform and do something instead of just saying something. A lot of times athletes and celebrities like to use their platform to say things, but not necessarily do things. And, you know, perhaps, perhaps, and as Cantor might fall into one, one of those categories, I'm not sure, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to really make a judgment on his motives per se. Um, he seems like a pretty upstanding guy. Um, problem is the NBA doesn't care because the NBA cares about its interests and they're not going, they're not going to, uh, really stand up for Inez Cantor if he gets backlash. Um, which again, I hate the word backlash, but it's what people use these days. Backlash in 2021 is essentially people just yelling on Twitter. Um, the one tweet that really started all was when uh, Mr. Cantor said more than 150 Tibetan people have burned themselves alive 
hoping that such an act would raise more awareness about Tibet. I stand with my Tibetan brothers and sisters, and I support their calls for freedom. Later, a Celtics fan account on Weibo, which is supposedly a Chinese popular social media platform that had over 600,000 followers. This is according to the New York Post. They apparently said that they would stop giving updates on the team because of, the in, because of this incident, saying, quote, We resolutely resist any behavior that undermines national harmony and the dignity of the motherland. Um, Cantor went on to say that... <laughs> I'm just processing that here. Cantor went on to say that the brutal dictator of China, I have a message for you and your henchmen. Free Tibet, free Tibet, free Tibet. Um, that's interesting. Uh, very, <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion on this particular incident. Um, I don't really want to meddle in that. Um but I will say that it's quite telling that the NBA hasn't really said anything and that people aren't really talking about this. You know, maybe it's because it's a foreign issue. Uh, you know, it really shouldn't be a foreign issue. This is a human rights issue. You know, are we talk about human rights issues a lot, like as a buzzword um, with sports athletes and their causes. But like, this is kind of a big deal that he's taking shots at them. And no one's talking about it. Um, I, you know, there was a lot of hype two years ago with the Hong Kong thing, right? Um, but, you know, I just find it interesting that a league that has taken a lot of steps towards social justice is kind of quiet when it comes to this. Um, partly because I think their interests are um, aligned with, you know, keeping the Chinese fans engaged. And I understand that from a business perspective perspective. I just find it odd how no one in the sports media or in the media in general is really talking about this um, in in the way that we normally talk about these sort of things domestically. Um, it's just interesting. Um, so make of that what you want. I just thought we should cover it real quick um, because it is sort of a um, prevalent topic, especially if you're a Celtics fan. I mean, this guy plays for your team. So uh, he's... Uh, Probably not making too many friends in the NBA league office. We can all talk about the human rights abuses going on in Tibet and whatnot, and the political ramifications of that is one thing. You know, and like I said, I'm not going to meddle in that. The one thing I will say is the NBA being quiet about it, that's a tough look. All right, moving on here to a little bit more of a happy topic. Um, the NFL game of the week. All right, so this week is kind of a bland week in the NFL. I mean, we've had some pretty good weeks, like Dallas, New England, you know, uh, Kansas City and Buffalo. Like, we've had some pretty good games over the past couple weeks. This week, believe it or not, my pick for game of the week is I like the Bengals and the Ravens to be a pretty exciting game. Don't let anyone tell you this, but this is sort of for first place in the North, I believe. Um... I think the Steelers have a bye. Uh, and they lost last week. Or sorry, they beat they beat Seattle last week. But they have a bye, and they're 3-3 three and three anyway. Yeah, so they beat Seattle last week, but they're 3-3. Three and three. Cincinnati's 4-2, and two, and Baltimore's 5-1. and one. Um, So basically, the winner of this game at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore kind of has a stranglehold on the 
on the uh, AFC North, especially if the Ravens win. Because if the Ravens will, they'll be six and one, and the uh, the Bengals will be four and three, and the Ravens will have a two game lead plus the tiebreaker. So that'll be pretty big. Uh, but if Cincinnati can somehow pull this out, look, I don't think they will. Uh, but I think they'll give it a fight. I mean, this is a team that's young and hungry. Um, I predicted that they'd be young and hungry. I think Baltimore will still win the division. But I don't rule out Cincinnati running um, toward a wildcard berth at all. And so if Baltimore wants to create some distance between themselves and the Bengals, this is the week to do it. You're playing at home. You have a game lead on them already. You could have a two-game lead in the standings plus the tiebreaker if you win. Um, then perhaps you're heading toward, you know, the month of November and, you know, the last half of the season with some momentum. Uh, and you can try and establish yourself um, up against Buffalo for the number one overall seed in the conference rather than um, for simply just winning your division because, what we know now in the NFL playoffs is that when only one team in the conference gets a bye, that number one seed means way more than it used to. Um, because oftentimes, look, I'm a Patriots fan, we saw this happen. You know, you'd be the two seed, you'd end up hosting the title game because the one seed would, you know, match up against a divisional opponent uh, in the divisional round who was fresh off a road win. They'd come in there, beat you again. That happened to the Patriots um, as a... Uh, as a one seed when they played the Jets at home, and we've seen that happen to the Denver Broncos before uh, under Peyton Manning and under, definitely with the Colts and Steelers before. Um, so that number one seed bye really makes a difference. So if Baltimore really wants to find themselves in that situation, uh, they better take care of business against Cincinnati because Cincinnati knows the, uh, they know. I mean, this isn't the same Cincinnati team that makes dumb mistakes over and over. Granted, you know, they've sort of had a cupcake schedule a little bit, like they've beaten Jacksonville, you know. But this is this is their opportunity to really show that, look, like we want to be a playoff team. We don't care what anyone says about us. We want to be a playoff team. Another interesting game on the slate is Chiefs-Titans. Uh, if you told me earlier on in the summer... Um, that this game would not be my pick for game of the week, uh, I would laugh because, you know, we've got, we've got Kansas City traveling to Nashville and Kansas City is not the same Kansas City team. I think it's okay to say that Mahomes has sort of, has sort of looked pedestrian relative to how he's typically looked, but we've seen, we've seen dynasty teams. We've seen teams with elite quarterbacks do this where they really don't start playing well until late October, I mean, the Patriots were one of these teams for many years. But Tennessee, uh, if I were them, I'd run it right down their throats. Uh, I don't think Kansas City can I can't. I don't think Kansas City can stop a nosebleed. Um, I think if you keep Mahomes off the field, even though he hasn't been playing as well as he normally has, you can minimize the risks. Um, and if Tennessee can find a way to win this game, they'll be 5-2, and two, and they'll put Kansas City at 3-4. And, and Kansas City will have already lost to uh, Buffalo, Tennessee, and Baltimore. So Kansas City's getting a lot of their tough games early on in the season. All right, so game of the week is Cincinnati at Baltimore, simply because of the ramifications in that particular division um, and what it could mean for the Ravens if they lose. 
but that's a tough that's a tough call in close second with Kansas City and Tennessee. Elsewhere, Pats and Jets. <laughs> we'll see, um, but we'll we'll definitely talk about that later on in the week. All right, closing off here. I have two quick thoughts just before I finish off here. We are nearing in on Halloween. I ran a poll a year ago where. 61% of my audience preferred Pumpkinhead to Sam Adams October. Shipyard Pumpkinhead's pretty awesome. I'm a Mainer. It's brewed here. That's pretty cool. I used to be a fan of Oktoberfest. And I believe that's what I voted for in last year's poll. I voted in my own poll. Don't tell anyone. Um, I'm going to go with Pumpkinhead, though, this year. Uh, simply because I had it last night and it helped me get through the Red Sox game. <laughs> Red Sox game was tough. They left their bats in Boston. Reminds me of the time when I was a sophomore in high school that my JV team literally left our bats at the opposing team's field and my good friend Kyle um, drove there the next day to pick them up for us as a team. And, uh, He's a hell of a dude, and so we left our bats in Winslow, Maine, and the Red Sox left their bats in Boston, Massachusetts. So anyway, Pumpkinhead helped me get through that. It was good, nice, good, crisp fall beer, a little bit sweeter uh, than a Sam Adams October. Sam Adams October is a little bit more of a European German style, I think. Not a huge beer expert, but uh, interested to hear your thoughts if you think you're a pumpkin head or an Oktoberfest guy or gal guy or gal most of my audience is guys but if you're a gal listening are you a pumpkin head gal or are you an Oktoberfest gal all right moving on here last cool topic and I always like to talk about a non-sports topic um and I saw this on the evening loose last night and it was pretty awesome um real quick there was a lot of violence among students, you know, fist fights and yelling and shoving and this and that happening at a high school in Shreveport, Louisiana. So a lot of dads in the community, they got together and they decided they were going to do something about it. They made t-shirts and they started patrolling the hallways on their free time as volunteers in shifts. And so, and you know, instead of having one school resource officer trying to cover the whole school or whatnot, or maybe two, you had a bunch of dads chilling out and building relationships, um, you know, making sure that, you know, people uh, were being where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there, you know, giving a, an occasional dad joke here. And it was really a heartwarming story. So if you have time, I would definitely look that up. It's called Dads on Duty. And it was on CBS News last night. I think even if you just Google Dads on Duty, Louisiana, you'll find that story. It's a great video. And one of the dads said that one of the reasons he wanted to do it is because he knew that not every uh, kid in the school had a father figure. Um, and I think that's something that's wicked important. And I commend those guys. Those guys are awesome. Uh, and they, you know, they deserve praise for all the good stuff that they're doing in the community. So definitely go give that a check out. All right. That sort of does it for my weekend edition of Home Field Advantage. Sort of a shorter episode we talked about the MLB playoffs and the Red Sox premature exit. We talked about the weird situation going on with Inez Cantor, China, and the NBA. Um, again, make of that what you want, but 
certainly not a great look for the NBA that they're not backing their player here. Um, and then also, you know, we talked about the NFL games of the week. I like Baltimore over Cincinnati, and I sort of like Tennessee over uh, over Kansas City. I like the home teams. And then we close it out, beer talk, again, Pumpkinhead or Oktoberfest, your pick. Uh, and then lastly, that great story out of Louisiana with Dads on Duty. Uh, if you want more content, feel free to follow us on Instagram. We love it um, when you follow us on Instagram and interact with our posts. Uh, at HomeFieldPod on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at SportlandUSA on Twitter and my personal handle on Twitter, at Will Highland. I know that's a lot of information, but at SportlandUSA and at Will Highland on Twitter, at HomeFieldPod on Instagram. I also write for the Puck Authority. I'll be covering the main Mariners for them this year. So in addition to my articles that you have on Sportland USA, you can also check out some of my articles over at the Puck Authority. But until next time, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. I hope you're able to get some rest and relaxation. And if you're listening to this during the week, don't worry, it will be the weekend again. But until then... My name is Will Island, and this is Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Home Field Advantage is an independent program, and the thoughts and opinions expressed on them do not reflect those of any other company or entity. And if you want to make Home Field Advantage part of your weekly routine, Check out our Instagram live show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern.